What is going on, Dodger fans? Thank you for listening to another episode of the Incline Dodgers podcast. We're presented by Fansided, where you can read Dodgers content on Dodgers Way, fansided.com. This is Kevin Klein speaking. The month of August is officially in the books for the Dodgers. And what a month to remember. Cannot wait to recap it with Jake Reiner in just a couple minutes. The Dodgers are now 83 and 50 on the season as they finish the month of August going 24 and 5. They are now in the midst of a series with the Atlanta Braves. This was quite a first exciting game. Even though the Dodgers lost 8 to 7, you kind of have to feel good moving on to the next day if you're a Dodgers fan. I think Jake knows what I'm talking about in a second. Let's talk about this game right now. So the Dodgers lost 8-7. to Lance Lynn took the mound for the Dodgers, had a very rough night, gave up seven runs. But the Dodgers, even though they were down 7-1 to at one point in this game, were able to fight their way back, ended up losing 8-7. to I think the turning point in this game was when Mookie Betts hit a three-run home run off Spencer Strider to make it a 7-4 to game. And it was close from that point forward. Yeah. I mean, you figure that, you know, Mookie hits two home runs, Muncie hits a home run, Michael Bush hits a home run, and the Dodgers typically win. But when you're playing the Atlanta Braves and you spot them seven runs, it's very difficult to win baseball games that way, given the fact that the Dodgers are playing the best team in baseball, record-wise. Now, I think it's worth putting this in context. The Dodgers were facing Spencer Strider, Atlanta's best, arguably, and the Dodgers put Lance Lynn out there, who has been pretty excellent in a Dodgers uniform, but definitely would not get the ball game one if this was the NLCS. So just put that in perspective that the Dodgers ran out maybe their their weakest of their starting pitchers and still were able to come within a run at the end and have a chance to win it in the bottom of the ninth. Sort of a weird game for Max Muncie because at the plate, he did really well. He hit he, he hit a home run. He drove in a run in the first inning uh, on a fielder's choice. But he also made a horrendous throwing error that led to a run, and the Dodgers lost by that deficit. So kind of a weird game for him. And I kind of want to get into Max Muncy and his precarious defense, let's call it, when we get closer to October. I definitely want to go over that with you, Kevin. But honestly, I'm just so proud of this offense. They never give up. They've never given up all season. And they didn't give up tonight. Max Muncy is having one of the most unique seasons I've ever seen from any Dodgers player. Right now he's hitting 208, which you would think is really low. But he's made up for it by hitting 32 home runs. And at the pace he's going, I think he'd only need four more to hit a new career high because he's done 35 a couple times. He's got 90 runs driven in. And it doesn't feel like he has 90 RBIs, honestly, but it it shows that he is coming through more often than not with runners on base. He's not just hitting solo home runs at times. He's driving in multiple runners, and he's got a pretty impressive streak going that ties the Dodgers franchise record. That is nine consecutive games with at least one extra base hit. And then he's got the OPS of 832, which is well above league average. But as Jake just pointed out, On defense, he's very hit or miss, and I'm not entirely sure what the Dodgers can do defensively at third base, especially if it's a close game. The only scenario I could see is maybe pulling Max Muncy out in the eighth or ninth inning, knowing that Max Muncy doesn't have an at-bat remaining in the game. Yeah, and I think 
whether or not JD Martinez is able to go, hopefully he is all signs point to him coming back. But if he's not available, I would put Muncie at DH in the playoffs. But I, but if, but if JD Martinez is there, I definitely would replace him with Kike Hernandez at third. I think you have to have a, have to have an infield of Kike Rojas at short and Mookie at second in the later part of the innings in the postseason. You just have to have that. It, you can't afford a catastrophe. And the, and the weird thing is about Muncie's defense is that I've always been wary of it. And I was at the Arizona Diamondbacks game on Monday, the Dodgers crushed, but Muncie had a particularly amazing game defensively. He also had home run in that game, but defensively he was just picking balls left and right showed off an incredible arm that I didn't think he had in him from deep in the hole at third base. So it's just sort of weird. I mean, he can be good and he can be accurate, but I just think it's too much of a liability to do what he did tonight and have that happen again. I mean, we saw it was either last year, or the year before where he booted that ball and lost the game in Philadelphia. Like, I just don't want that happening with the game on the line. These games are too precious. Yeah, for sure. Circling back to the how this game started, let's go back to Lance Lynn because this was easily the worst Lance Lynn start in a Dodgers uniform by a mile. Oh, yeah. He just never looked like he was in rhythm. He got out of it in the first inning. I think it was Matt Olson. He had a pretty electric uh, fastball with some nice movement out of the zone that got him chasing the swing and miss for strike three. But that second inning really fell apart for Lance Lynn. Gave up some walks, hit some. He hit Sean Murphy. Um, Orlando Arcia got on base with a little nubbler to third to Max Muncie, nonetheless. And then Ronald Acuna Jr. made a statement with a grand slam that put the Braves up pretty big early on. Um, thoughts on Lance Lynn? Should this be something Dodgers fans should be concerned about? We've talked about the home run tendencies being an issue. I think I've pointed out that my one concern with Lance Lynn is if he does get traffic on the base paths. he's proven it so far up till this point that he was able to get out of it, but he finally served up the meatball to one of the best hitters in the game. And it cost the Dodgers. Here's the thing. It was a perfect storm against Lance Lynn. I think that he had, he was laboring out there. I mean, he really, he got ahead of hitter. So that wasn't the issue, but the problem was that he is that he couldn't put anybody away. The the Atlanta Braves were just relentless. They fouled so many balls off. I, I even sent you a text during the game. I was like, this Atlanta team just they don't give up at bats, but they're they're fouling off tough pitches. They're making Lance Lynn work. And he had like 60 pitches through three innings already. And and that's tough because when you're fouling that many pitches off, it means two things. One, you got to kind of use all of your pitching arsenal. So you're kind of exposing yourself to each hitter. They get a taste of everything you've got. And then there's much more of a margin to make a mistake. And he did on a number of occasions, most notably with Ronald Acuna Jr., who hit the absolute piss out of that ball. I mean, Jesus Christ, that thing was rocketed out of Dodger Stadium, no doubt about it. But one point I did want to make is it's it Lance Lynn couldn't get the guys out that he needed to get out. I mean, you really cannot allow Nicky Lopez to get on base. He's the number nine hitter. And each time the Dodgers let him get on base. Atlanta made the Dodgers pay The Lance Lynn had the bases loaded with one out and Nicky Lopez at the plate. And he walked him and he walked in a run. That was just deadly. I mean, cause then it led to the Acuna grand slam. Then later Victor Gonzalez. I mean, uh, um, Alex Vesey is on the mound 
And that's when Muncie made the error. Nicky Lopez gets on. Braves make them pay. Michael Harris ends up getting a, an RBI single, and that's the difference in the game. So Nicky Lopez is the key. The bottom of that Braves order is the key in this series because the top of that Braves order all hit home runs, the first three hitters. It is a gauntlet of a lineup. I'm not too worried about it, though, overall for Lance Lynn because, honestly, this, this Braves team is, is insane. I mean, the lineup is just so stacked. So to me, it's just a wake-up call for him to execute better and to – put away hitters, which he couldn't do tonight. Yeah, for sure. This is the second start in a row where Lance Lynn only recorded one strikeout. For me, that's a little bit of a concern. He was able to fight his way out there in Boston. He ended up with a quality start. It was four runs, but three of them being earned. I know that he was removed in the seventh inning. I think he had first and second, nobody out. And I want to say Gratterall came in and saved the day against the Red Sox. Uh, but this is kind of what I was saying with Lance Lynn initially. I'm not entirely convinced yet that he should be starting for this Dodgers team any earlier than a game four in a series. Uh, we'll talk about Julio Arias in a few minutes. He's got a big start coming up September 1st against Atlanta, and he has to bounce back after a pretty terrible performance against the Boston Red Sox. But when it comes down to it in the playoffs, you need guys out there. It's not about giving you innings. It's about swing and miss stuff. That's what plays in the postseason. That's why I'm really excited to see. I think Bobby Miller's got a start coming up against Atlanta, if I'm not mistaken. So this is going to be a huge litmus test for the Miller versus Lynn debate because we saw what Miller did in his major league debut against Atlanta. He looks pretty good, but that's not the first time we've seen a good team struggle against a pitcher they've never seen before in a debut. And so even though uh, Bobby Miller gave up four runs against the D-backs, I've still been encouraged by him overall. That 101-mile-per-hour fastball along with a changeup that I believe opponents are hitting four for 44 against, that's what plays in the postseason. And so, like Jake just said, let's see how Lance Lynn looks over, looks, um, over the next month of September. This will be a huge telling of how the Dodgers should evaluate their postseason rotation in October. I just want to say one quick thing about Bobby Miller, because I was at that start on Monday uh, against Arizona and he had that one bad inning. It was like the third or fourth inning where he gave up three runs. And after that, he settled down and settled in. And that was huge. I think that was the takeaway for me is that he got rattled. He got rocked in one inning, but instead of kind of crumbling, he went back out there and shut the D backs down and gave the offense a chance to, ignite in the later innings which they've done all season long so that's that's the key to this postseason for the for the way that this Dodgers team is set up the starting pitching and also the bullpen just needs to keep it close and not even that close but four three runs I mean that that is kind of the sweet spot for this team you get the Dodgers within two one runs if they're if they're down either two or one I feel very confident going into the sixth, the seventh thing with a deficit like that. So they don't need to walk a tightrope and be absolutely spotless, but they do need to control the game. And if they have a bad inning, they need to bounce back. That's what I saw from Bobby Miller on Monday, and that was excellent. Yeah, this is one of those losses where I feel like most Dodger fans, generally speaking, feel pretty good about themselves. Usually when you lose a close game like this, you kind of are frustrated. But just given the fact that the Dodgers were down big in this game, fought back, made it close, 
they had arguably their best pitcher on the mound and we had one of our number three to five guys. Um, I'm excited to see how the rest of the series shakes out. There's still three more games. Julio Arias will take them out against Max Freed. Max Freed has been one of those guys that's either been a thorn in the Dodgers side or a guy that they've just completely wrecked, depending on which version of Max Freed they they get. Uh, he hasn't really pitched that much either this season due to, I believe, a forearm injury. Uh, this third game of the series, Dodgers haven't announced their starter yet. There's a rumors going around that they could bring back up Gavin Stone or they might call up an old friend in Emmett Sheehan. We'll see. I don't know if they've announced it yet after this game. They might tomorrow, but he'll face Bryce Elder, who was at one point looking pretty good for the Braves, but has kind of struggled in the second half. And then the final game of the series will be Bobby Miller against Charlie Morton. And I feel like there's never been a Dodgers Braves or Dodgers any series where Charlie Morton's on the mound for the other team where we just avoid that guy every time. Unbelievable, right? <laughs> every time he's on the mound. I, yeah. I, I'm, I'd be curious to look at how many times they faced him because it feels like every single year in a critical game, it's Charlie Morton on the mound. Every time. So, yeah, like I just said, there's three games left. So, Jake, looking ahead, what do you kind of expect to – what do you expect from the Dodgers? What do you hope to see from the Dodgers – as they have three more games against Atlanta here at Dodger Stadium. Uh, what would be your takeaways? What? How do you want to see them approach at the plate? All the fun stuff like that. Yeah, I mean, I just think that they, they have to continue doing what they've been doing. I mean, this was such a perfect example of what this offense is capable of. And if Lance Lynn has, I don't know, half a better night like the, the Dodgers win this game so that's what I want to continue to see and I think from a fan perspective I was thinking about this after the game ended from a fan perspective this is kind of the most relaxed you can be during a high profile series and what I mean by that is you've got the division locked up pretty clear so pretty clean so yeah. you don't really need to worry about you know, a loss here or win there and what's Arizona doing and what are, what's San Francisco doing. So you don't have to worry about that necessarily. Then the other question is the best record in baseball. And I think it would be more advantageous. I think everybody's on this page. If the Dodgers got the second seed, given the fact that they could face the Brewers, the Giants or the Diamondbacks or the Reds, depending the on Reds. if they get in. So that's an easier path to the NLCS than to have to face the winner of the Cubs and Phillies. So this is the most relaxed you're going to be as a fan. It should be fun to watch the rest of this series. That's why I wasn't so upset that we lost this game by one run because it was a really fun, exciting game. And the consequences of losing this game really don't matter. Yeah, I agree. I think the two seed is the magic seed this year. We all could just be totally wrong and look like assholes and watch the Brewers just destroy us or something. But I mean, <laughs> things like that happen in the playoffs, yeah. but you want to give yourself the, the best chance to move forward. Yeah, exactly. And I really don't want to face the Phillies. After all, they did make the World Series last season. So even though I counted them out, it was completely wrong. They They proved that they were capable of making a run. And I mean, they have a really deep lineup. It seems like the last two seasons, especially... They have been uh, a team that's given the Dodgers fits in the regular season. And now Trey Turner, he's come alive ever since that standing ovation that Phillies fans gave him. He's hitting in like the high 300s with a number of home runs. So I guess the Phillies fans knew what they were doing. And then, of course, there's Bryce Harper. He's looked good. He's had some clutch home runs. 
here this regular season as well as in the, in the past. Kyle Schwarber, they just have a really deep lineup. And at the top with Zach Wheeler, Aaron Nola, and Ranger Suarez, and uh, Michael Lorenzen, uh, they very well could be that team that just knocks out the Braves again. So, uh, like yeah, that's said, what I was going to say. If there's any team that could knock the Braves out, it's the Phillies. And so there you go, right? If you're able to get through the divisional round, beat like a Brewers team or even a Giants team, depending on who advances, you get the Phillies and not the Braves. And I think either one is going to be a tough challenge, but obviously the Dodgers fare, I think maybe they may fare better against the Phillies than the Braves, but both are, I mean, both lineups are, are, are gauntlets. Yeah. Yeah, my takeaway from this series is that this is really good intel for the Dodgers if there is a collision course where the Braves and Los Angeles meet in the NLCS. They've got to face Spencer Strider twice this season. They kind of got to him both times. So that's a number of great footage now that they can look at if they meet up in the playoffs to see what worked and what didn't work. Uh, this would be They've seen Max Fried a lot, but this will be the first time I think they see him this season. It's always good to have more footage on Max Fried. And then they have just a, a long archive of Charlie Morton at this point. And then, of course, you get to face the Braves lineup, so you can kind of figure out the tendencies of their hitters, what works, what doesn't work. And, I mean, how about Michael Harris just turning it around? I think he was their nine-hole hitter in the first couple months, hitting, like, below 200. Now he's hitting, like, over 300. has been just on fire. Yeah, and he he took – Lancelin so just so gone um no doubt about it I I think the one takeaway I just just from the eye test of watching this game that I think the Dodgers will look at against at least against Strider maybe against the rest of this pitching staff but I saw a lot of just like wild chases tonight and it was kind of very uncharacteristic of this team saw a lot of bad first pitch swings like um like there was one michael bush sword that just kind of looked really awkward there was another mookie Betts swing that looked really bad uh ahmed rosario just looked lost up there um so that would be one thing i'd hope that they look at is just to be a little bit more selective with strider because he throws mainly fastballs and the breaking stuff doesn't really come near the plate and they're so Fooled. They're so geared for that fastball because he throws it the majority of the time that they were so out in front of these other other pitches. I think that's a kind of adjustment you'll see. But I just want to talk briefly since I brought him up, Ahmed Rosario. I know that they had to play him tonight because he's not really got that much playing time. So they had to play him against the righty. But never again, dude. Just never again. Um, he, he was he came up in a couple of key situations where he just looked bad, bad at bats, not really that competitive. So they got, I mean, obviously he's going to be in there mostly against lefties, but he he's, he's been, he's been uh, struggling, you know, with this kind of limited playing time he's had. So it sounds like you're saying Miguel Rojas is your shortstop. I think it has to be, I mean, defensively, he's the mm-hmm. best option you have. And so when you don't really have a superior bat to, to kind of measure up yeah. against. It's not like you got Hanley Ramirez on the bench. You know what I'm saying? So I think you got to go with the defense. Yeah. Offensively speaking against right-handed pitchers, they're both kind of just the same exact player. Uh, but like you said, defense really swings Miguel Rojas's way. And he's gotten a lot better as the season's gone on. He's been healthier as well. And like we've seen in the postseason in the past, if you have a bad defensive shortstop, 
it can really cost you the game. So think say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. I would lean defense as well. And I think that's going to answer uh, Chicken Biddle's question about can the Dodgers get to Atlanta in the postseason. I mean, absolutely. I think most people counted this Dodgers team out before the season even begun. Unlike the two of us where we said just wait and see. They're better than you think, and they're proving that right now. So this Dodgers team very well could reach 100 wins yet again. I mean, they're 83 and 50, so they only need 17 more wins. I mean, they basically have to go 500, and they're they're a 100-win team. Yeah, and, and and honestly, it's just about what happens in September uh, leading, leading, in, uh, leading into October and just to see where they're at um, in terms of the rhythm because that's kind of what's what's going to be – the the key uh is is how well they're playing when the postseason starts and i hope it's something i mean obviously you can't really ask for another august in september the way that they played in august but something close to that yeah all right let's recap this awesome month of august for the dodgers especially the most recent two series against the arizona diamondbacks and the boston red sox so again reminder the dodgers went 24 and 5 they won every series. I mean, to begin the discussion, we have to talk about just how amazing Mookie Betts was in this past month. He set a Dodgers franchise record, recording 51 hits. Absolutely insane. He had a slash line of a 455 batting average, 516 on base, 839 slugging. So that means his OPS was like nearly 1,400. 11 home runs, 30 RBIs, played all around the diamond as well. He's now up to 38 home runs, and we're not even in September yet. 38 home runs is a career high already. He surpassed last year's career high by three home runs. So here we go and counting, and he's a leadoff hitter. I mean, what the heck are we looking at here? This is just insane. This is one of the best seasons in in Dodgers history. I mean, it's it's up there with – you know, Sean Green's uh, record-setting home run year. Uh, it's up there with Adrian Beltre's final year as a Dodger. I mean, this it's up there with with uh, 2011 Matt Kemp. Um, yeah, the, the, and 2019 this, Bellinger too. Yeah, 2019 Bellinger. Um, this this is we're we're witnessing history. We're witnessing something that maybe we've never witnessed before. Uh, Mookie Betts is a freak of nature. This is what the Dodgers wanted when they traded for him and then signed him to an extension. But I think even the expectations of fans and the, and the ownership couldn't have foreseen this. I mean, this, 
this is so far beyond <laughs> what we expected. And and we when we started talking about how he's kind of on pace to kind of have a have a, a better season as a Dodger than he ever did as a Red Sox. I mean, I didn't follow him that closely when he was a Boston Red Sox, but I just assumed he, every single year he was just an absolute beast. Um, and especially that 2018 MVP season, I just never thought that that we would be seeing an even better version of him, you know, uh, as, as he gets a little bit older. Yeah, this is already, without a doubt, the second best season of his entire career. I mean, just from a war perspective, he's already about to pass um, any season besides 2018. Uh, the WRC plus is pretty much in line with his MVP season from 2018. Uh, the home runs already a career high. I mean, he's the leadoff hitter and he's got 98 runs batted in. I mean, I I don't even remember the last time I've seen a leadoff hitter with that many runs batted in. That just kind of goes to show you in two areas. One, the bottom of the Dodgers lineup yes. has a really great ability to get on base. This was my, my biggest complaint last season with the bottom of the order being asked because there was never anybody on for Mookie Best to drive in. It was just nothing but yeah. solo shots. But this season, guys are getting on, especially seven through nine, uh, like the likes of James Outman, who's just been really great at the bottom of the order. That's been a big difference, I think. And then Mookie Betts being clutch, coming through more often than not with runners in scoring position. And then 38 home runs, he's batting like 317 now. I mean, these are like video game-like numbers. I didn't even expect Mookie Betts to put up these stats. And he's not only he's not only the only one doing this. We have to still talk about Freddie Freeman in a second. Yeah. I mean, the the Dodgers have the best one-two punch in all of baseball. It's it's remarkable what Freddie Freeman and Mookie Betts have done for this team. They've carried them. Even when the rest of the offense isn't doing well, they're still hitting. I mean, that that's th- those are MVPs right there. Uh, to be able to carry an off to carry your offense in baseball, I mean that's crazy. You think about basketball and like LeBron James, you know he can he can carry a shitty Cavaliers team to the finals because you know one player makes so much more of a difference in basketball than one player in Major League Baseball. So when you think about Betts and Freeman carrying this offense the way that they have this season is just out of this world. Yeah, and so moving on to Freddie Freeman, he, he's about to break a Dodgers record. He needs one more double, I think, which would be 52, or to tie, I should say, so he needs 53. He already set the L.A. Dodgers record, which beat your guy Sean Green, who had 49. Here we are with Freddie Freeman. He has 51 doubles, and we still have an entire month of baseball uh, to be played. That's The 51 doubles is a career high for Freddie Freeman. He's batting 338, which is – Closing in on Luis Arias for the batting title. I know that this is something that Freddie Freeman would love to win. Obviously, a World Series would mean more to him. But uh, just from a stats perspective, he's batting 338, 25 home runs. That already beats last season when he had 21 home runs, 89 RBIs. He's even stealing bases, 17 of them. And he has a 998 OPS. He had a really good month of August as well. He hit around 375. So another guy that would be an MVP most seasons. But just because of the brilliance from Acuna and Mookie Betts, we've kind of put the Freddie Freeman talks a little bit in the back burner. But he he did have his moment, I think, early on in the month of August when we were talking about him being the potential MVP. 
yeah i mean it's it's just um it's such a treat it's such a treat as a fan to watch these watch these guys go out there and not only you know watch them perform at the level that they're performing at but that both of them want to be out there every single day like yeah. that you can't want you can't ask for anything more than that you know it's like your your guys want to be in there every single day and it's tough to take them out of the lineup like come on yeah, there was a really good piece in The Athletic that I think came out yesterday where they kind of interviewed players around the league talking about stats and accolades that mean the most to them. And for Freddie Freeman, it what meant most to him, I think we've heard this before, is he wants to be in the lineup every day because he views this as his job and he doesn't like the idea of being paid and not being out there. He also, I think in another interview has mentioned like he knows that fans are there to see him. So he feels like it's an obligation to kind of reward, give the fans back who are hardworking, pay to be at these games. And he even, he's mentioned that this ethic kind of came from, I think his father, because when he was a kid, his mother passed away. He saw how hard his dad worked to raise, raise uh, the kids on a single household income and, so that's kind of been Freddie Freeman's mindset throughout his entire career. Mm. Um, and then, you know, there's been a lot of great hitters this month. Uh, Austin Barnes had a really good month of August as well. He hit 355. Good to see Austin Barnes come alive. I know that the Dodgers signed another catcher, Tucker Barnhart, to a minor league contract. Um, I was wrong about Colton Wong, apparently, which we can get into in a yeah. second, but I don't think Tucker Barnhart will be on the major league roster, but I feel like he's maybe insurance in case one of these two guys, Smith or Barnes get injured. Uh, The only thing I can say about Barnhart is he has won a couple gold gloves. Won't really give you much offensively, but insurance policy to have, I suppose. Yeah. That's all all that really is to me because I I can't imagine that. I mean, you're not going to put, you're not going to put him in there over Smith. And I think at this point, Austin Barnes has worked with this pitching staff all season long. He's been in the postseason before. He's come through in the postseason for the Dodgers before. You know, you remember those days when Yasmani Grandal got the yips and couldn't catch the ball anymore, and then he replaced yeah. uh, Yasmani Grandal as the starting catcher. So I, I don't foresee uh, Tucker Barnhart making his way under this under this yeah, roster so, unless something crazy happens. So what's up with Colton Wong? What are, what are they thinking here? Yeah, that's a weird one. I mean, maybe they get another lefty bat in the lineup, but it just seems like they've got so many players that can play so many positions, especially now, you know, that Mookie Betts is getting regular time at second base. I don't know what, where Colton Wong fits into this, you know, equation. So much for letting the kids play. I mean, if there was such a thing as seniority, I mean, Colton Wong was signed literally a couple of weeks ago. And he's getting an opportunity before some of these guys are. Uh, I guess this speaks to volume of how they view Miguel Vargas for the rest of the season. It sounds like he won't be getting called up and getting another major league at bat this season. So that's kind of a shame given how high we most of us were on him coming into the year. Just things never went right for him. Sounds like once J.D. Martinez is activated, they'll have to send down Michael Bush. Um, and Johnny DeLuca is a lost man in AAA. You, you know what's going bad when you when you can't even celebrate your own bobblehead night because you're in AAA and not in the major league level. That's got to be a first. Yeah, that, that I oh, Jesus, that is just such a swing and a miss by the promotions department. Like, 
I, you know, the, the faith that they have in both Altman and Vargas who were not, you know, guaranteed to, to, to be playing in this roster the entire season. I mean, they Altman, you know, really had to, to, to prove himself. And so did Vargas to, to make a bobblehead out of those two guys. is just a, I don't know. It just seems a bit premature. And then you kind of yeah. got egg on your face with one of them in the major leagues and one of them not on the same bobblehead. Absolutely. Yeah. What a season, uh, an unfortunate season for Vargas, I should say. All right. So recapping this Diamondback series real quick, complete. What's it re- to recap? They, <laughs> they just rolled them. That is pretty much the recap. They outscored them 23 to five. They pummeled Zach Gallen, as you mentioned, the game you were at. They hit four home runs off him. Then the next night, they just completely decimated Merrill Kelly, who's like the anti-Blake Snell, who can pitch well against every other team except the Dodgers, who the stats say he's 0 for 11 lifetime. He's definitely 0 for 3 or 0 for 4 this season. The poor guy can never get a win against the Dodgers, which I'm not complaining about because I want to beat him every time. But this this is a really interesting turn for the worst for Arizona. Because if you think way back to April, this Diamondbacks team was, they were a dog. They were just scoring runs off the Dodgers left and right. They were destroying the likes of Noah Syndergaard. I know they roughed up Clayton Kershaw. They definitely destroyed Michael Bush. Guys like Corbin Carroll were on fire. And Running all over us. They, yeah, on the stolen base paths as well. That's a good point. Their pitching looked pretty solid. And they were at one point winning the season series. Now the Dodgers have just completely taken the mantle. I know they swept them in Arizona. They swept them here in Los Angeles. Uh, They got to their top pitching prospect, Brandon Fox. Uh, The Dodgers just really have made a statement against Arizona. Hopefully this isn't like a Padre situation from last season where just dominate them all regular season long, get to face them in the NLDS potentially, and then things turn for the worse. But I mean, just from a, a divisional perspective here. I mean, the Dodgers have just whipped out their dicks and are peeing all over this Arizona Diamondbacks team saying, you, you ain't on our level, bro. Yeah. I don't know how to follow that comment, but what I can say is I was worried at the beginning of the season because I saw what kind of team this was. And I'm like, Oh my God, this team is built for the new rules. They, they found, they found the magic sauce and, and this might be a long year for the Dodgers. And I, also was worried that we can't throw anybody out. We can't keep we can't keep guys from stealing on us. And I think that they've actually made good adjustments. I don't have the numbers in front of me, but but it from the eyeball test, it looks like they've made major adjustments in keeping the running game down. Will Smith has, has been doing a decent job behind the plate. But yeah, I think what happened in the NLDS last year against the Padres, I I will not be fooled again. Like I, I will not think that some team is a cakewalk based on the fact that the Dodgers have pummeled them in the, in the regular season. I just won't. So yeah, yeah, it's great. You know, the Dodgers always kill Arizona. They always kill San Diego. They always kill Colorado. The only team that really gives them any issues is the, is the giants, which makes sense. It's the rivalry. Mm -hmm. So to me, it's like once the postseason starts, everything that happened in the regular season doesn't matter. Yeah, that's a good point. Uh, My last comment on this series is, I absolutely loved what I saw from Ryan Pepio. He is just wheeling and dealing right now. 129 ERA, 14 innings, 14 strikeouts, 163 batting average against. The main reason that I was high on this guy is because I did believe in this stuff. 
I think he has one of the best potential changeups in the game of baseball. There's far more life on his fastball this season. I mean, he's dialing it in at 96, 97 at times with excellent spin rate. And, you know, the one knock on Pepio was that he was just walking too many guys and he didn't have command of his pitches. And he's been quite blunt and said that he was nervous. Uh, I can understand that. That's not the first time someone's been nervous as a rookie. And so he's taking his quote unquote sophomore year, I guess, with great strides. And he's only had two walks given up so far. So that Pepio Yarbrough combo was really sexy. I don't know if we'll get to see that in the playoffs, but we'll get, we have another month. There is an outside shot where Ryan Pepio could just force his way on and be a postseason starter. That's why we still have a month of baseball left to see if this could shake out. Yeah, I mean, I've been saying this for a while. This is the audition period. The Dodgers are have the division locked up. Like we said, they don't really want the number one seed so there's not much to play for on the field but what it what is there to play for are is the audition period for this postseason roster and i think that if pepio continues to deal like he's been dealing and he's looked excellent i don't know how you could keep him off the postseason roster if this is the way he's pitching um it you know we're, we're keeping our eyes on lance lynn you know yeah one or two more starts like this you got to think about, you know, maybe giving Pepio the shot or, you know, if you were thinking of going Kershaw, Arias, Lynn, maybe you go Kershaw, Arias, Miller, you know, I mean, that there's so many different, you know, kind of combinations you can go to, but a lot of these guys, there's, there are no locks, you know, once you get past Kershaw and Arias, there are no locks. So there, there's, there's a lot of auditioning going on right now. Yeah, for sure. All right, let's recap this Boston Red Sox series real quick. This was a really interesting one from a narrative perspective. Mookie Betts returned to Fenway Park, got nothing but a standing ovation. Although I will say it, it did feel like it was a house divided. There were a lot of Dodgers fans that made their way up to Boston. So I commend all you for uh, making the trip out there. I yeah, believe it was the, it was the pan. It was the Pantone group. Yeah. Okay. And Mookie Betts did go deep at least once, right? He did. Yeah. On the other side of things, though, this was kind of interesting because Alex Verdugo and Justin Turner kind of wanted to make sure the Dodgers didn't forget about them. Both of them had multiple home runs in this series. I mean, Verdugo took, um, God, well, Justin Turner. Yeah. So Verdugo took Arias deep. Justin Turner, I believe, he took Arias deep as well, right? Yeah. And then out of the bullpen, he took, um, he took some, he took a, a rookie D or I can't remember regardless. Just Yeah. I'm, I'm drawing a blank here. I'm on a, I'm on grease time people. So I've been getting up at like 5. AM every day to watch these freaking Dodger games. Now I understand why baseball is not popular in Europe. Uh, I've been in dedication. That's dedication, Kevin. Over the past 10 days or so now I've been in Portugal, Spain, and now Greece. And I've done the best I can to keep up with the Dodgers. So Sorry if my uh, memory's a little foggy at times, but I did watch all three of those Red Sox games. I enjoyed the series. Um, it wasn't a playoff-like atmosphere because the Red Sox aren't going to make the playoffs, but I really did feel like the Dodgers and Red Sox gave each other a battle. Uh, James Paxton, I was impressed how they kind of got to a good lefty. It felt like, I feel like even I said it like at the beginning of the season that the Dodgers really struggled against left-handed pitching. That narrative has been long dead now. They've looked pretty good against lefties. So yep. 
Hopefully I don't jinx that with Max Rico tomorrow. So that would be a bad edit. But with that being said, you know, I was impressed with the Dodgers. Their offense really showed up. Uh, Freeman looked great. I, that's where he hit the, the – he had multiple doubles there. And Mookie went deep. But, yeah, Verdugo was annoying. Justin Turner was a pest. And that's pretty much my, my takeaways from that series. The Dodgers won two out of three, I believe. Yeah, Verdugo did look a little silly. I mean, he he hit these massive home runs, which is great. You know, you want to you, you want to show up against your old team. You want to remind them of what what they dealt away. But at the same time, it was like he acted like, you know, he won a playoff game and it just it just looked weird. It just looked like shut up, dude. Like just, you know, fucking round the bases. You're 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 not it wasn't like he hit a walk off or a go ahead home run in a big spot or anything like that. It just was a regular home run. So um yeah, look it looked a little weird. Justin Turner, though, I mean that he's kind yeah, he of a took, silent he took stone deep. Turner. Yeah, that was who it was. Yeah. Justin Turner, kind of a silent assassin, you know. He I've always loved him. I mean, he's such a great hitter, always has been. Um, and I'm, I'm happy that he's having a great season in, uh, in Boston. Um, I, I, you know, I, I miss him in, in the sense that, uh, I, I wish that he would have finished his career with the Dodgers, but you know, I don't, I don't miss him in the sense that it didn't really affect us this season. I mean, the Dodgers have been playing excellent baseball. Max Muncy has been a serviceable replacement at third base and JD Martinez when healthy has been terrific at the plate. Right. And I also just love how Red Sox fans are scratching their head with the massive resurgence coming from Ryan Brazier, who also yeah. made his return to Fenway. And he kind of talked about being excited to return to his old team and uh, being a part of Los Angeles, working with the pitching development staff has really just rejuvenated his career. I mean, we're talking about a reliever now that's 2-0 with an 0.95 ERA. Um, a 256 FIP, so he is legit, and an 0706 WHIP. He has just been locked on. Uh, I kind of want to see over the next month the Dodgers not burn him out, but use him in more and more high leverage roles, so we can see if he is a legitimate guy in October that can get out of some big situations. Yeah, I would like to see that as well. I mean, they have been using him in the late innings. He's been kind of the de facto setup guy to Evan Phillips. Uh, him and him and Gratterall have kind of traded traded that role um he's been he's been excellent every single year there's a guy like ryan brazier i mean you know it's like phil bickford or you know evan phillips or mm -hmm. brandon morrow it's like every single season there's Us. a guy that you know you never chris martin chris martin um every single year there's a guy like that out of the pen so this year is brian brazier he looks awesome yeah, we might have to make we'll have to pick we might have to come up with a reliever and name like a best reincarnated type of role where we honor guys Yeah, no that's a good that's a good incline award uh addition <laughs> yeah like dylan floro is another one that comes to mind a guy i never heard of and then the dodgers made him into something yeah i mean we yeah we could call it the the dylan floro reclamation project award or something you know <laughs> the name prior lab award. award yeah the pri yeah the pro oh there we go that's actually better the prior lab award all right Take a brick. We'll take a quick break right here to talk about tick pick real quick. Proud sponsor of the Incline Dodgers podcast. I mean, the Dodgers are in September now. If you're listening to this podcast, this is your time to go to Dodger Stadium. If you haven't gone this season, you can get the best tickets available using the tick pick app. No service fees at checkout. 
best ticket prices on the market. All you have to do is search Los Angeles Dodgers, whether you want to follow them on at home or on the road. It's as simple as that. You get your tickets pretty much right away. Uh, with NFL just around the corner, you can get your tickets on TickPick as well to support your favorite NFL team. Uh, probably no NFL predictions on the show this week, but it should be an exciting season ahead. And if you're a big concert goer, TickPick has you covered as well. So download that oh. app, get your tickets. Go ahead. I, I just would like to say, Kevin, that when I went to the game on Monday against the Diamondbacks, I used TickPick and I got a great deal. Got some field level seats for $88 a piece, which was like the second row uh, right behind the uh, the premium seating up against the netting. This is the field level seating and it was a section 37. Great. Also, also for David Rosenthal and those onion lovers out there, I am one of them um, near section 37. That's where the onions and relish are. So heads up, that's where the little, the little spinning wheel of the onions, if you need them for your hot dog, which it's a, it was, I didn't know, I guess I did know what I was missing uh, without the onions for a while, but like, Jesus, it just, it just makes the hot dog. It really does. Real quick. How would you rank the, the hot dog condiments from priority to least priority? Oh, the well, the priority is the mustard, and I agree. right behind it is the onions. Because okay. you could have you could can you could have a Dodger dog with just with just mustard and be fine. You can't really have a Dodger dog with just onions. Yeah, no, I think mustard for sure at the top. I think I would flip flop relish and onions. I, I prefer. I think relish plays more for me, but onions. Yeah, you gotta have you gotta have all three essentially. Ketchup's the most overrated condiment, so I don't need ketchup to enjoy my hot dog. Oh, I saw a guy in front of me at the game, literally just ketchup, and it was Ugh. one of those where it was just like just swimming in it. I was like, God, what is this? Disgusting. All right, I only have about three segments left and a couple questions, so they should be quick. But Jake, I'll turn it over to you uh, for your your subject as well as any other topics you wanted to cover. All right, so this is my segment called Blast from the Past, where we take a look back at some forgotten Dodgers that either had big impacts on the team or just were big characters that we want to remember and, and, and discuss, maybe give some memories of, of players like these. So this week, last time we did uh, Marlon Anderson, and this week we're doing Milton Bradley. Oh. Yes, Milton Bradley, what a character. The guy was just one of the biggest hotheads I've ever seen. Uh, would just go ballistic in the dugout. I, I remember him like one time he got kicked out of a game and he got the bag of balls and just tossed them on the field, tossed the bats on the field. And yeah, he was a real uh, firecracker. So Milton Bradley played from the year 2000 to the year 2011. He was drafted by the Expos in the second round of the 1996 draft out of Long Beach Polytechnic High School. He was from he's from Southern California, grew up in Harbor City, which is near Torrance and Carson area. Um, so uh, the Dodgers had him for a couple of seasons on April 3rd, 2004, which is kind of a weird time to make a trade. Um, the Dodgers traded for Milton Bradley from the Cleveland Guardians in exchange for Franklin Gutierrez and a player to be named later, which ended up being pitcher Andrew Brown. Funny enough, later on in Bradley's career, he got traded again for Andrew Brown, which is weird. And mm. Andrew Brown didn't really have much of a career. 
in 2004 when he came over, Milton Bradley uh, played in 141 games. He had 267 with 19 home runs and 15 stolen bases. And that year, the Dodgers went to the postseason for the first time in a long time. I think it was the first time since 1996, if I remember correctly. But they made the postseason. That was the uh, the Sean, Sean Green, Adrian Beltre uh, team. Uh, they lost 3-1 to one to the Cardinals. Uh, Milton Bradley had a pretty good postseason. He hit 273 with a home run and a double. Then in 2005, he only played 75 games. And I, I didn't really have time to look it up, but I assume it was injury-plagued. Um, cause he only played in 70, 75 games, but he hit 290 with an 835 OPS, uh, 13 home runs and 38 RBIs. So kind of a pedestrian Dodgers career. He had his moments, bit of a hothead, as I mentioned, but probably his greatest accomplishment as a Dodger was the trade at the, uh, in the off season, uh, in 2005, December 13th, he was traded to the Oakland A's for Andre Ethier. Yep. Andre Ethier was traded for Milton Bradley and along with Milton Bradley went Antonio Perez. Uh, so that was that trade. And then we got Andre Ethier and he had a pretty damn good Dodgers career, much better career than uh, Milton Bradley had because Milton Bradley only was a, he was a one-time all-star and it happened in 2008 with the Rangers where he hit 322 with 22 mm-hmm. home runs um, and we're, and, and this was an amazing thing. He had a 436 on base percentage. So he had a, a really kind of a weird spike of a year in 2008, but Milton Bradley, what were your, what are your, what were your memories of Milton Bradley? Uh, it's kind of early on or, you know, way, way back uh-huh. when, in our, in our childhood here, Kevin, I, I remember him somewhat vividly. Yeah. He was a, he was a nice, uh, key piece in 2004, when that team made the postseason, they had a really deep outfield. I think they had to move Sean green to first base because they had a lot yep. of depth in the outfield. Jason worth was on that team. Steve Finley, Milton Bradley. Um, he tore his knee in 2005. That was why he had a short season. That was the disastrous 05 Dodgers, which I'll never forget where pretty much any player you could think of got hurt. J.D. Drew got his wrist broken at the beginning of the season. Jose Valentin had like a season-ending injury as well. As well, Cesar Torres, even though he was an all-star, he really wasn't healthy that season. And then Eric Gagne famously tore his elbow and was never the same after that. So it was just a mess of the season. But Milton Bradley was a hothead. I believe in specifically he got into it with Jeff Kent. I can't remember yep. the exact context, but I think he accused – Jeff Kent of some type of racism and didn't like uh, his attitude towards minority players. Um, I don't know who to side with there, but Milton Bradley did have a lot of anger issues. And I think that is kind of why he's become a forgotten baseball player. Because if you do look at his baseball reference page, he looks like he had a really solid career. I mean, 271 batting average and on base of 364 in an era where walks weren't really as respected so maybe in an analytics era, he'd have an on-base closer to 400, 125 career home runs. Uh, Ned Coletti did it right by trading him for Andre Ethier. That turned out to be a complete fleece. Not the first time that the Oakland Athletics, who I feel like get way more praise than they should have because the Oakland Athletics have made a lot of bad, blundering roster moves. Max Muncie stands out to me as well, specifically. Um, but yeah, two years, yeah, I- two 
two years, they were short, kind of an impact player, I guess, good role player. Um, but yeah, he won't be a player that people talk about in the future just because he was a bad locker room teammate. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I forgot to mention switch hitting outfielder. If, if you guys don't remember, um, I wanted to kind of shout out Antonio Perez real quick, because I don't think a lot of people remember him. Uh, he only played with the Dodgers for two seasons and he was a bench player, but he was actually really good in 2005, which is probably why the Oakland A's thought they were getting a nice little piece with him because in 98 games, he hit 297 uh, with a 758 OPS, uh, three home runs and 23 RBIs with 11 stolen bases. So coming off the bench, that's pretty damn good. And I, I was sad to see him go because I thought, I thought he, I thought he was a great role player. Um, and then didn't do anything in to the next year and disappeared. Yeah. Disappeared. And never, we never saw him again. I was at the game cause I remember, so that's why I remember it, but he broke up a Pedro Martinez, no hitter that he was dealing against the Dodgers in the eighth inning by hitting a triple. Who is Pedro pitching for the New York Mets, the Mets. Yeah. His first year with New York. Cause yeah, he had won the World Series the year before with Boston, I guess. Right, right. I remember that. Awesome. Um, all right, cool. Uh, that was that was a a curveball. Did not expect Milton Bradley to be the focal. Yeah, player, I, you're you're going to you're going to expect curveballs each week whenever when I do this segment because I want to I want to get some obscure guys in there too. Obviously, this is this is one of them. All right, first question coming on X from Say It Like the YM One. Are we screwed in the postseason because we have no good lefties in the Dodgers bullpen? I wouldn't say we have no good lefties in the Dodgers bullpen because Ryan Yarbrough has been excellent. The two guys that you kind of don't know are Ferguson and Vassia. I mean, they've been kind of wild cards this year. They've shown flashes of brilliance and they've shown flashes of just horrendous. Um, just absolute implosions on the mound. So mm -hmm. it is a bit risky going into the playoffs when you don't have that surefire lefty, like when you had Victor Gonzalez in 2020, uh, who was just lights out every time. Um, they don't really have that this year. So it is a little worrying going into the playoffs, but the Dodgers do have a couple of relievers that have good reverse splits against lefties. One of them being Evan Phillips. And I believe uh, Bruce Dark Gratterall does face lefties well uh, as well. So, so they, they have a solid bullpen, but throwing Vessier Ferguson out there in high leverage. I'm a, I'm a little worried about that. Yeah. I mean, when it comes down to Caleb Ferguson, He's had some moments of blow up, and usually when they're blow ups, they're they're pretty uh, catastrophic. The Cleveland one was pretty bad. He yeah. had a, a couple big blunders against the Reds, both on the road and at home. Uh, I remember specifically he getting walked off against in a game where it felt like the Dodgers were comfortably winning against the Reds, and then he blew it. But I mean, you have to look at the big picture here, and. More often than not, Caleb Ferguson has been really good for the Dodgers this season. I mean, he has seven wins. Not that you need to put much stock into that, but seven and three, a 270 ERA. The whip 
is a little high to my liking at 1.4, but 55 strikeouts over 50 innings pitched. Um, I feel like if you're building a house of cards, Kayla Ferguson or Jenga, whatever game you want to think of, Kayla Ferguson is one of those most important pieces and you have to pull it out in a very specific manner because the Dodgers might go as far as Caleb Ferguson lets them go. He's kind of one of the key pieces for this Dodgers bullpen. Still think you can make a case. He's one of the top three, top four guys in their, in the Dodgers bullpen. Uh, I was looking at the stat the other day. I think he has 16 holds out of 20 opportunities. He has three saves as well. So high percentage for the most part, uh, but the Dodgers are going to continue to use him in high leverage unless he gives them a reason not to use him. Um, so I still feel like in the grand scheme of things, he's been a really good lefty. I think maybe fans are just kind of forgetting that when you have a reliever that's healthy for the entire year, a long 162 game season, there are going to be little spurts where your guy is off. Like not everyone can just be perfect out there, have a ERA of one. I think it was kind of a flash in the pan last season when Evan Phillips and Yancey Almonte were for the most part perfect. Yeah. And until Yancey wasn't, um, um, yeah, I mean that, that's, that's, you know, that's the risk you run with every single reliever in your bullpen. Um, but I, I don't know. I just think temperamentally, I like Alex Vesia. I just, just like that psycho attitude he has on the mound. He's just a real, I mean, I don't know how else to describe it. He's a psychopath out there. I mean, he just, he's just pacing around and he's jerking and herking and jerking all around the mound. And he's got the scowl and he, and every time he strikes out a battery explodes. Um, so I, I like that attitude in October and I hope um, that both of them can find it uh, when the lights are the brightest, because we're, like you said, they are very important to us winning a world series. For sure. Um, on Instagram, we'll hit these two questions just real quick. Cindy underscore 72. Do the umpires get reprimanded for a pitch? Clearly not a strike, but then called a strike. I feel yeah. like this, this was a few. Yeah. Uh, the answer is no. I feel like she was alluding to something that happened a few days ago, but my memory's foggy where there was a pitch called for a strike three. That was clearly a ball and it cost the Dodgers the game. Maybe it was in Boston, but I think it was in I, Boston. I think I think. Well, no, am I misremembering that? I thought maybe it would. It was Mookie Betts, but I think I think Mookie Betts was the hitter. Yeah, I I, um, I vaguely remember that. <laughs> yeah, but it, it was a it was a pretty bad a, it was a pretty bad call that I think cost the Dodgers that game. Um, but yeah, I don't think MLB does anything like that. If anything, uh, if you're not following the Eric Lewis situation of the NBA, more of it's behind the scenes than I think we are led on to believe. Harmony Davis 29 has Julio Urias regressed. I mean, he's absolutely regressed. He led the national league in ERA last season with like a two twelve ERA. And he's doubled that on the mark this season. Like I said, kind of early at the beginning of this podcast, the start against the Atlanta Braves will be kind of huge, not in the grand like scope where, Urias is going to be a starter or a reliever. I've seen some people in my mentions suggest the idea of putting Urias into the bullpen full-time, which I kind of think is ridiculous. But this is more of a, a confidence thing for Urias. Can he show up against the good teams? Also, it kind of will help the Dodgers get a frame of mind of where they can line him up in the Dodgers rotation come October, because if he's going to be bad every time out, then you can't start him in a game one or a game two. You'll have to put him 
in a game three or game four. So I think, yes, the, the answer is Boreas has regressed, but I'm not counting him out just yet. No, I'm not either. And I think it has a lot to do with his mindset and his attitude. He's got to find, he's got to find something, whether it's, you know, his will to win another title, whether it's his will to get paid in the off season, as much money as he can possibly get paid. He's got to find something within him. And I think that this brave start is a good place to start to, to assess whether or not he has that old dog in him that he's, that he's displayed for the majority of his Dodgers career. So I don't think it's going to, like I said, I don't think anything in this series is going to tell you one thing or another when the postseason comes, because there's a long time off from that. And the Dodgers have to get through one round to even get to the Braves. Braves also have to get through one round to get to the Dodgers. So a lot can happen. I just mm-hmm. think for Hulerius's confidence, if he can go out there and shut down the Braves and the Dodgers can put up a few runs against Max Freed, that's going to go a long way for him personally. Agreed. All right, so these are kind of my final thoughts tied into a couple things that are going around Major League Baseball, but this one kind of just dawned on me in the last few minutes because I have, based off one of my tweets, I don't know why Braves fans are all of a sudden acting like Spencer Strider isn't their ace when all season long they've been pushing for him to win the Cy Young. Now they're trying to knock down this Dodgers loss saying, oh, you shouldn't be proud of yourselves because he was he's not the Braves ace. It's Freed and Kyle Wright. I'm like, what? You can't push for a guy to win the Cy Young and then all of a sudden say he's your number three. It just doesn't work like that, buddy. Braves fans have been on something this season. They've been really insecure you can tell that they are threatened by the Dodgers, but don't want to act like it. And then anytime you mention that Mookie Betts or Freeman are in the MVP conversation, they say, well, we've got the 62 steals. Like, who gives a shit about steals? I think one of the reasons they're so insecure is because they're, they've got the target on their backs. They're the most recent World Series winner. They're the favorites this year. And they're the best team in baseball. They're feeling what Dodgers fans have felt for a long time now when the expectations are so high. And and basically, if you don't win the World Series, it's a failure. So I think Braves fans are feeling that pressure much like we felt that pressure for a while. For sure. Yeah, I agree with that. All right. So these are my, my couple final thoughts. I'll keep this within three to five minutes. First off, part of my language, fuck the Angels. What they did was just kind of absolutely Bush League. It's one thing to put a couple players on waivers because they're bad and you don't want them anymore. But it's another thing to alter the league by putting on like a third of your roster on the waiver wire because you don't want to pay them anymore. I mean, who the heck does Artie Moreno think he is? And we didn't even cover the Shohei Otani stuff. We'll save it for another episode with the, the UCL tear and how that could be a red flag for the Dodgers. But, I mean, they put Lucas Giolito on, who they acquired, gave, gave up top prospects for him at the deadline. And yeah. here, here they are, uh, less than a month later, handing him out for free. And then Matt Moore, uh, Randall Grichik, Hunter Renfro, um, and the other, the White Sox reliever who's been with Oh, Giolito. Ronaldo Lopez? Yeah, Lopez. So that's one thing. I mean, the Angels are just a laughing stock at this point. I, this was like a franchise that I used to think had their shit together. They'd make the postseason all the time, but it's clear as day that Artie Moreno is the worst. Owner. When, when, when did you think that? Like the early or early two thousands to yeah, late two yeah, thousands. Yeah. 
they had some good they had haven't thought that for a while have you (laughs) no it's been a, a bad decade for them but that's the first part but the second part is this MLB waiver wire rule system has to be the most stupid rig thing that I ever could see. I thought you, you claim a player, you move to the back of the line, but no, you can claim all the players that you want. Like Cleveland cleaned up. They got Giolito, Matt Moore, and Ronaldo Lopez, and they're probably not even going to make the playoffs. The Reds got two hitters as well. How is that even fair? I mean, you could just be a mediocre team all season, and if you get lucky like this, all of a sudden you clean up. Yeah. And I don't know what, I mean, I guess Cleveland is thinking, well, if we can make some type of push, I mean, they're five games out of the division in the NL central, they're nowhere near in the wild card. So their only shot is the division and going after the twins. They must think that they, that they have an outside chance. Otherwise, why would you take on all of these, all of these players? Yeah, I guess so. Second and final person that I want to call out. And you could make him the idiot of the week, I guess. Scott Boris for his comments regarding Cody Bellinger and then kind of bashing the Dodgers, but then doubling down at the same time. The context basically is that he, he blames the Dodgers for what went wrong with Cody Bellinger. He said they basically forced him to go out there when he was injured with his statistics. I don't know where he came up with this number, but he had a 35% strength deficiency in his shoulder and at the same time accused the Dodgers of running him out there when he wasn't clearly recovered from COVID. Very weird comments from Scott Boris, who then after... Oh, I didn't hear that part. Yeah. Um, and then they asked Andrew Friedman over at the LA Times his thoughts on that. And he said, I don't want to stoop down to that level. So I love the, I love the clearly blunt, in your face, like you're an idiot response to Boris. And then Boris doubled down and said, oh, you know, you know, I didn't exactly mean what I said. You know, the Dodgers, they do a good job. Um, we'd love to work with them in the future type of stuff. Yeah, Classics. yeah, yeah, yeah. I bet he walked that back. Yeah. And you know what's you know what's annoying? It's like he's just saying that because he doesn't want to admit the truth, which was Cody Bellinger just got lost in his head. That's what it was. He just it was between the ears. For whatever reason, the pressure was mounting. The you know, he couldn't handle the heat of the fans coming after him and saying that the Dodgers should DFA him, that they should trade him, that they should really, I mean, all, all of the the, people calling for him to be sent down to the minors. I mean, I just think that the lights got a little too bright. Sean green talked about that a lot. He didn't really enjoy playing in Los Angeles. And he admits that in in a book that he wrote because it was a really tough place to play when you're not playing well. Or when you do, or when you do have a, an incredible season, and then maybe the next season isn't as good, or you go through a rough stretch, the the the, the fan base can be pretty brutal in these larger markets. So that's what it was. It wasn't that the Dodgers ran him out there because he was hurt. Right. That's just that's bullshit. And yeah, I am frustrated that Cody Bellinger batted 400 in the month of July and then followed that up by hitting 324 in the month of August with 31 runs batted in. He's setting himself up for a very hefty payday. So whether it was a change of scenery, finally being hundred percent healthy, a combo of all the above laying off the weed being sober. I don't know. We can throw out any accusations we want out there. 
He's it really was a change of scenery. It was a change yeah. of scenery. I said that. I was like, I, I just feel like Cody Bellinger going to a different team is going to make a difference, and it has, because guess what? The Chicago Cubs don't expect much from you. That team was not supposed to, to be anywhere near the postseason picture. So the pressure's off. It just makes perfect sense. Yeah, so I think the Cubs are probably going to pay him and re-sign him. We'll see how that works out in the long run. Uh, Jake Reiner, any final thoughts or things you want to cover real quick before we head out? I just like the fact that the Dodgers are in a great position right now to see what they have for October. That's that's going to be the one and only thing that we're going to be looking at in in the in, for the entire month of September is filling those key roles that we talked about in the bullpen, filling those key roles that we talked about in the starting rotation, and then just staying healthy and just and just maintaining the ship. That's all they have to do. And it's it's a great place to be as a fan because like a loss like this to the Braves, like I said, doesn't sway things one way or the other. So just sit back and enjoy this because this this team is special. All right. I agree. Final, my final words here, little little jab at David, but show some respect to Tony Gonsolin next time. Guy had, found out he had a torn UCL in the month of June, knew that his entire rotation was on the injured list, ran out there anyways, gave it his all. RIP, that's a real one. Smoke one out for Tony Gonsolin. Tommy yeah. John surgery. Can't trade him now because he's on the IL for all of 2024. And Pouring didn't Blake try and do something similar? When he yes. was not a hundred percent and he took the ball and went out there and now he's been gone for a while. So yep. anyway. All right. Make sure to subscribe to the Incline Dodgers, wherever you get your podcasts. We're on Apple, Spotify, YouTube, other things I have no idea about. Give us a five-star rating. If you enjoy the show, now that we're in the month of September, it's time to really pick up the momentum. We're going to have a lot of incline coverage out there and we'll get you guys ready for the postseason because this should be a more exciting one than last year. Let's hope. So everyone have a great week ahead. Uh, next time you hear from me, it'll be after the Dodgers face the Marlins, and hopefully I'm back in the United States with better audio equipment. <laughs> All right, everyone, have a good week. Go Dodgers. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun... Yeah, you get it every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.